Well, uh, there's a lot of people to thank before we get started. I want to start by first saying thank you to Pastor Dave and Pastor Johan and to Jerry who filled in for the last three weeks. It is, yes, give them a round of applause, please. We are truly blessed to have so many gifted, I don't think we're a little hot. Something a little hot, I don't know what it is. Getting a little tickle up here. Just so long as there's not a current running underneath this. It is good to know we have so many men, number one, who love the Lord. And it's one thing to be able to preach, but loving the Lord was, was what I gathered behind all of those sermons. And so I know I was blessed by it, and I know you were blessed by it. And we were all uh, the benefactors of, of their, their gifts. Thank you for everyone who has given us diapers. I'm giving you applause. Yes. Don't applaud yourself. You gave the diapers. I'm doing the diapers. I mean, I don't do them. I just tell Stephanie, you got to do that diaper. Um, wow, there's a lot of crying in our house right now. And that's just me and Steph, not the baby. <laughs> we have so many babies. Uh, we took them all to Publix last night, which I realize now was a complete mistake. Between the marinara jars that were being pulled off the side and Claire molesting uh, innocent shoppers as they walked by. Uh, we had the baby who cried about midway through. And when babies who are nursing cry, you know they will not stop. So it has been an interesting three weeks. They say from when you go from two children to three, you switch from man-to-man defense to zone. If you know anything about football, zone defense, it's a bend-don't-break philosophy. Let me tell you, we are bending right now. We lost a dear member of our church this past week, Jimmy Richmond. He's been here since somebody asked me this morning, how long has he been here? The, the latest account was 1980, before 1980. Ms. Hearn said he was here before 1980. I said I know he was here from the time I was born. And... He never one time had anything negative to say about this church or about me or about our pastors. When Gratana called me, um, ten, I called Gratana. Actually, she called me. It was 1045 at night. And she said, make sure you and Pastor Dave go and see him. He loved you both very much. I think more than anything, I was so blessed this past week by the people around Jimmy. Jimmy was, by world standards, truly the least of these. He had no family, no money. He was disabled, as many as you know, many of you know. I told my father last night, called my father and share with him that Jimmy passed away. For those of you who are new here, my father was the pastor of our church for 34 years. He was Jimmy's pastor. And he said to me, son, did you know that that man used to walk to church? 
He had cerebral palsy, and he would walk to church every Sunday morning. The people who were around Jimmy, who served Jimmy, I found out had been doing so for years. I won't name them because I don't want to rob them of their joy. But I found out how much they had been giving to him for years. And I didn't know this because they didn't brag about it. They didn't talk about it. They just did it. And he gave them nothing. They just did it because they loved the Lord. And they know that the love of the Lord means the love of the Lord's people. Because Jesus made this so clear. If you love me, you will do for the least of my sheep. And it was that experience this week, coupled with the mountain of excuses of why we can't serve that was on a collision course for this sermon series that I'm going to preach for the next three weeks. The sermon series is entitled, How Can I Serve? And this week is part one of that series, Commitment. There's a story that Tom Rainer tells in his book, I Will, about a man who was committed. It goes like this. You had to admire his commitment. He made the decision to attend. He wouldn't miss it. The weather was terrible that day. There was steady rain and the temperature was in the 40s. But he still got out in the weather. Because of the bad weather, he did not quite make it on time. It was difficult to get to his seat as well. But he persevered. His seat wasn't comfortable. But he neither left nor complained. His presence vividly demonstrated his love and commitment. He was joyous the entire time. He enjoyed the presence of fellow believers. His attitude, his attendance, and his enthusiasm all reflected his deep and abiding commitment. He was at a college football game on a Saturday afternoon. By the way, he did not attend church worship services the next day. He was tired from the ball game. And after all, there was a 40% chance of rain. You know, this story, whether it's a bit heavy-handed or not, it is unfortunately so very true. It makes a point, and that is this. We do what we want to do. We sacrifice for the things we love. And we will move heaven and earth to be a part of the things that are important to us. Why? Because we're committed. My wife said to me last week, she said, Andrew, you will move heaven and earth to get what you want. She was right. And that's a great character trait to have when it's for others and for God. And it is a terrible character trait to have when it is for yourself. My goal this morning is simply this. 
to demonstrate to you from the Bible that your or that our, I'm going to include myself, that our commitment to the local church is the greatest evidence of our commitment to Christ. And if this is true, then the obverse is also true, that our lack of commitment to the local church is the greatest evidence that we are not committed to Christ. That's all I want to prove this morning. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husband, love your wife. As Christ loved the church, think now about how Christ loves the church. Here's what he says. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That means he separated her from the world for holiness, for purity, to be other, that is to be different. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be holy or that she, that is the church, might be holy and without blemish. The truth is this morning, brothers and sisters, that if we truly love Christ, we will love his church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that I say nothing false. I pray that I say nothing that your word does not tell us. I pray, Lord, that you will move hearts. I can't move hearts. I am the tool that you have brought here. I pray that you will build the house. Amen. Just consider some of these facts about the New Testament. Some of these things, sometimes people will say to me, well, where does the Bible talk about church membership or being a member of a local church? I just want to throw out some facts to you this morning. Number one, Jesus came to build his church. Came to die, but he also came to build a church. It's one of his secondary, though one of the major reasons why Jesus came. We know Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. That is his main reason, but he did so also to build a church. We know that Jesus loved the church. We know that Jesus died for the church. We know that the church is called the bride of Christ. We know that the Holy Spirit has given gifts to the church for the mutual edification of the body. Edification means the building up. That is that if you have gifts, God has given them to you to be used specifically for the church. The book of Acts is the history of the Holy Spirit building local churches around the world. The epistles, that is the letters in the Bible, though though it's a literary genre of letters, those are all of Paul's letters, Peter's letters, James' letters, those are general epistles, that means epistles not by Paul. But all of the epistles are letters to local churches or to pastors of local churches. Or to men like Philemon who had so much money in a house so big that they let the local church meet in it. Even the final book of the Bible, Revelation, is the story of God's final salvation 
of the church. So the notion that a person can be committed to Christ without being committed to his church is simply a wrong priority and a priority that the New Testament itself does not have. Americans approach the local church, that is, a local church. There are two ways that the word church is used. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia, and it means to be pulled out or set apart. A gathering is another way that we use that. They are a gathering of people. And theologians have divided it between the invisible church, that is the body of all believing Christians everywhere, so that when we go to Asia and we go to India or uh, South America, the Caribbean, like when we go to Costa Rica and we meet fellow believers there, they are part of the invisible church. And I can put my arms around people who don't look like me, who don't talk like me, who don't even, have the same, don't even have the same way of life that I have. I can put my arms around them and say, brother. Because they're part of the invisible church. We have the same father. I know that whatever resources he has, he's using them to the glory of God. And whatever he does his daily work or his, his time, it's devoted to God. And he knows the same about me, even though we've never met each other. But there's another way that the church is used, and that's the local church. So that when Paul writes the letter to Ephesians, he's writing to local churches. To churches in Galatia. Local churches that have pastors, that have elders, that have deacons, that have people who come on a weekly basis. And yes, people who serve in the nursery. So we would be like a local church. Of course, the, the reality is that there can be people in a local church who aren't part of the invisible church. That there can be warm bodies in this house right now who've been baptized and not really be part of the invisible church because that's possible. But the invisible church demonstrates itself by how it lives its life. We know that salvation is by faith alone, but to quote Luther, it's not a faith that is alone. And Jesus intended on building a church that is known by practices and that lives out for one another. But Americans approach the local church the way they approach the local store as customers. We come to church to judge the service, the pastors, the greeters, the members, the music, the facilities. And if we don't get exactly what we want, we'll just take our business elsewhere. Brainer says, too many times we leave a corporate worship service as if we just judged an Olympic event. We might give the pastor a seven, says Rainer, for the sermon, or the worship team, our worship leader, a six for the music. We might give other worshipers a low three because they would not move to the middle of the pews to let us in more easily. He continues, when we leave the church with such judgmental perceptions, we have not worshiped God. Instead, we have attended an event to entertain us. Now some, not many, have decided to choose other local churches for a variety of reasons. Some 
choose perhaps they found a church that's closer to their home or where they prefer the worship style or the preaching or where they can serve. And and though those reasons aren't wrong in themselves, those reasons can become wrong when they're consumer-driven rather than commitment-driven. In other words, when we choose churches based upon what I want rather than how I can serve, we're approaching this from a consumer mindset. In other words, if our attitude is I want rather than I will, we're choosing churches for the wrong reasons. First point I want to make this morning is that church is not about us. It is about God and others. I hope you look at our logo here and you see a little sprout. Because when we were putting together our mission and our vision for the church, there's a lot of logos you could use. Everybody uses a cross. I wanted to use a sprout because I wanted to communicate this idea to the church. Growth. I want to communicate to everyone here a vertical trajectory. That we don't just come. This is not a mausoleum. For, for, for those who are saved. It's the place where we grow. And I want this little sprout of a church to become a tree with much fruit. That everyone who comes into our midst is nourished in our branches. But right now, church, if we're honest, we're a sprout. But church is not about us. It's about God and others. What is our mission statement? We are here to cultivate a greater love for God and for others. I want to take you, I want to be your leader on a wonderful journey away from yourself. So that it's not about you getting your way. It's about God being glorified. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Remember those two words. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul's of course not saying that we don't have our own interests, but simply that our own interests are secondary to the interest and care of others. And I know how different that is to a world that tells you Monday through Saturday that it is all about you. And then I get you for an hour, hopefully two if we come on Wednesday nights, which I can tell you this, the crowd doesn't look like this. I get one hour to tell you Put others above yourself. And the world has the rest of the week to tell you, no, your happiness is the measure of all things. Well, look at these two words, selfish ambition and conceit. Selfish ambition means wanting all for me, and conceit means wanting my way for all. How do you know if you have selfish ambition? Well, ask yourself the following questions. 
Do you base your relationship with our church or with the local church that you attend on I want rather than I will? Do you come to serve or to be served in the local church? Kennedy, a theologian by no means, said a wonderful thing. He said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We're asking the same question. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. Jeff, what can they do for your church this morning? Thank you. We need 36 people. My goal is to get everyone on a rotation so that we don't have people over there in that nursery who never come to church. But the only way we can do that is by having one or two or three backups. But what's our attitude? Oh, Jody's got it. Oh, Kathleen, she's got it. Dave, he's got it. No, we need help. Multiple hands. Oh, there's room to serve. But don't ask, how can I or how can you serve me? Ask, what can I do to help? Have you ever gone through the formal membership process in your church? Again, we're still asking the question, how do you know if church is about wanting all for me? If you haven't gone through a formal membership process in your church, you're like a person who, you're like the guy who says, I don't need to be married to tell her I'm in love. Oh, I know that trick. Girls, he's lying to you. The first moment you balloon, he's out. And he's got no ties to you whatsoever. The first time those babies start crying in the middle of the night and you get a little hormonal, not that that happens with my wife, <laughs> he's out of there because he's got no tie to you. And we do the same thing with our churches. Eh, you know, I don't like that switch to the more contemporary music. Maybe I'll try the church down the street because it's about what I want and not about I will. My mother-in-law, when we're done after church, I'll go to lunch with her and I'll talk about, we'll talk about everything under the sun. And there's this one song she loves. And this, I don't like this song. I told her I don't like this song. Last week I was standing next to her and she was, she's so cute, you know. She's just moving and she's, and she just gave me a little nudge. It's not my favorite song, but she likes it. She's glorifying God through it. Can I be happy that my brother and sister is glorifying God instead of sitting there pouting because I didn't get my song today? Do you criticize more than you encourage? If you do, you might have selfish ambition, wanting all for you. Do you pray for your leaders? Do you make church about your personal preferences? Do you complain? Or gossip to others when you don't like something the church is doing. If you do, you might be making church about your selfish ambition. Glory to God. I don't know what that song was, but whoever had that sounded good. 
wanting my all, though, what about conceit? Conceit is wanting my way for all. Well, how do we know if we have this attitude? Well, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you think you could do a better job than the church leaders? I did. I did before I came in a year ago. I thought I was going to teach Rudy a thing or two about how to be a pastor and how to be a servant. And Dave, I was going to teach you how to be a pastor. And Jerry, I was going to teach you how to run the school. And Susan, I'm still teaching you actually. I was going to teach you how to run money. I really did. And I learned an awful lot in the last year and a half. So I was going to tell John how to be a deacon. They've been doing it for years. Now, certainly God has laid a vision and a mission upon my heart, but he knocked me down a notch. Thank you, God. I had to do a lot of repenting. And it's been a wonderful thing that God has brought me under his discipline because it's for your benefit. Because whether we like it or not, when's our next business meeting, Rudy? Whether we like it or not, until our next business meeting, I'm, at, I'm still your pastor. And I had to learn. But do you submit to your leaders? You say, submit to your leaders. What are you, Jesus? No, but Jesus wants you to submit to your leaders. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give, will have to give an account. Let them, now listen to this part, because a lot of Baptist churches are good on that first part, but they're not good on the second part of verse 13. Listen to what he says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A miserable pastor church is not an advantage to you. But if you hear a little bit of groaning in your pastors, yes, it might be them, but it also might be you. Ask yourself, how can I help with the groaning? Well, what about do you constantly make suggestions about how you could improve the church? Or do you allow your leaders to rebuke and reprove the sin in your life? All of these are examples or all of these are situations in our life that might be telling us or might be revealing to us that we are in this church for selfish ambition and conceitful motives. Well, let me give you some biblical support then this morning for this particular topic. I want to talk about three types of people that I notice in the writings. And that is those who were committed, those who weren't committed... And those who should commit. First, let's look at those who did commit. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 says this. And they, that is believers, after they had been baptized. We do not baptize people who are not going to come into this church. If you want to join a church, go and be baptized in that church. A lot of people want to collect the experience of this beautiful rock structure. Folks, if you haven't seen it, stay after the church. We'll raise up the screen. It's beautiful. 
Because the founders of our church spared no expense when they did the, the baptismal pool. And a lot of people, I meet people all the time. In fact, the nurse that works at our pediatrician's office says to me the other day, I was baptized in that church. Not I was a member of that church. Not I gave my life to that church, but I was, I was baptized. Because people want to collect the experience. But baptism, as beautiful as that is, it is a stumbling block if we think that that's it and that you are not entering into covenant with this local body. You are saying on that day, I am a believer, brothers and sisters, you're accountable to me and I'm accountable to you. We don't do baby dedications for non-members because when you dedicate a child to the Lord, it does not save that child. You are saying, I want to put my child into a favorable position so that when that child grows up, that child will believe in Jesus. And I am saying to you, the only way that's going to happen is if that child is raised in the nurture and admonition of this local body. Evidence right here. They were baptized together. Here's what he said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You imagine that. Someone says to me, you know, tithe is not a New Testament principle, right? Oh, yeah? Here, let me read to you the New Testament principle. They had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Unless you want to get a big old chest here where you start bringing in all your cars and you start bringing in all your money and we liquidate all of your assets to help out those who have need, which by the way, if you haven't noticed, we're not in a very rich community. We've got a lot of need. Unless you want to do that, let's start with just a faithful 10%. Does it say that or not? Did I write this this morning or did Luke write this 2,000 years under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Oh, I can't make Wednesday. They made Monday through Saturday and then got up for Sunday. I can't make Wednesday now. They attended the temple daily and listened to how they did so. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The verb there that begins with devoted means they continuously devoted themselves. It is the guiding principle of this passage. That church continually devoted itself to the faith and to the church. Well, what were they doing? They, number one, devoted themselves. And, and by the way, how many did this? Was it some or all? All. They devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to being together. It says they were devoted to the fellowship, to breaking bread, to receiving food and eating in each other's homes. 
and attending church all together. They were devoted to sacrifice. They all sold their possessions and belongings. They were devoted to service. They distributed to any as any had need. They were devoted to impartiality. They had all things in common. No super Christians in that church. They were devoted to attendance. It says day by day they were faithful. And they were devoted to worship. They came not to praise themselves, but to praise God. Well, what about those who didn't commit? 1 John 2.19 says this. The church had been losing members. And to comfort the church, John said this to the people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is a them versus us here. False believers are the them and the us here is true believers. For John, it's non-Christians versus Christians. And the principle that he's teaching here is that false believers fizzle before the finish. Luke 8, 13 through 14. False believers fizzle before the finish. Listen to what Jesus said. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Both types of people are around the word and are around the people of God. Both types of people are even receptive to the word of God, but neither people stay with the word or stay with the church, nor do they bear fruit. Both types of people demonstrate that they were faulty from the first because they fizzled before the finish. Jim Summers. They were faulty from the first. Had they really been believers, they would have remained with us. But because they left us, they really weren't. They never really were. I, people tell me all the time, I used to be a Christian. No, you didn't. Not in any real sense. Is our God so weak that he can't keep those whom he has called? Hmm? He calls us and then he, oh shoot. Oh, oh my gosh, life got too hectic. You fell. Where'd you go? Or does he, everyone who he calls, none will snatch him from his hand, right? So then if they leave before they're finished, and the finish in honor of Jimmy Richmond is when they put you in the ground. Those are the believers. True believers, though, bear fruit from the first. Luke 8, 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Only good trees bear good fruit. 
And good fruit here does not mean good works. It means good works done by faith alone. Because anything not done from faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Then lastly, there was those who should commit. Those who did commit, those who didn't commit, and what we learn about them, and those who should commit. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to tell you, at the, lack of sound, at the risk of sounding self-serving, I want to tell you something very important. Your weekly attendance matters. When you go away for three and four weeks at a time, when you have no connection to this local church, it matters. Why? Paul Ellingworth says something very interesting about that passage. He's a commentator. He says, the mutual care which the author has commended his readers in verse 24 cannot be sustained unless members of the Christian community meet to encourage and exhort one another. You see, Hebrews 10.25, the verse that precedes it says this. Does anybody remember what that verse says since it was our verse for the year? Be eager to stir up love and good works. You cannot be eager to stir up love and good works in the community of God when you're at the Dolphins game and not here. So you cannot obey the love of brother and love of other when you're not here. This is not legalism. I am not saying that if you miss a Sunday, you're going to go to hell. I am saying that the principle of being here is based upon what you do when you are here. And the principle about loving and encouraging others is based upon actually being here. And the two cannot be separated. Verses 26 through 27 say something very interesting. So the verse 24 above, verse 25, tells us that we have to be together. And then verses 26 and 27 say something interesting too. In fact, it begins with a very important word in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. It begins with the word for, and the word for there in Greek connects it to the verses above. Listen to what 26 and 27 say. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. What does he mean by go on sinning? If 4 links 26 to 25, then it serves that 25... What the writer of Hebrews is talking about is those who leave the body and are gone. Because those who neglect, and, and listen to what Ellingworth says, he says, failure to do, failure to be present with the body 
is associated with apostasy. That means they fell away from the faith. It's not that you've fallen away from the church. It's that you've fallen away from the faith. I love Jesus. I just hate his church. No! I love God. I just hate Jesus. No! You love the Son, then you get the Father. But if you hate his church, you don't have the husband. I don't associate with people who hate my wife. But those who neglect the meeting together do so deliberately. What does it say? Verse verse 26, if we go on sinning deliberately. So those who neglect to be here, they do it deliberately. Remember what we said, we can do what we want. Boy, if Adele, Adele, whatever her name is, is coming in town, oh, you'll call your boss. I can't be there tonight. Adele's coming in town. And I just got to hear her sing that song. Whatever that song is that she sings. The Heat are playing in the playoffs. I can't make it. I got to watch the Heat play. Hey, where you been? Oh, work has gotten hectic real hard. Yeah. You work on Sundays? No. It's just hard. What does that have to do with you being here? Not only that, but those who neglect to meet together do so knowingly. And those who neglect the meeting together do so with warning. That falling away from the body, you stand in danger of falling away from the faith. Okay, let me conclude then. Let me give you something. Let me make this clear. I am not saying that if you miss a Sunday or a Wednesday here or there that you're not saved. I am not also saying that if you attend church every time the doors are open, faithfully give your tithe, go on church mission trips, or even take the Lord's Supper monthly, that you are saved. I am simply saying that your commitment to the local church is the greatest evidence of your love for Christ. And if this is true, then the obverse is also true. Your lack of commitment to the local church is the greatest evidence that you are not committed to Christ. Some people will say, well, they're backsliding. And backsliders, they can be confident that that they'll one day return. Backsliders, do you know what a backslider is? That's a Baptist term for those who don't come to church anymore, but are really saved. That's the definition of a backslider. Look it up. A backslider is a Baptist term. It'll say it just like this. A Baptist term for those who don't come to church for a long time, but really are saved. Let me explain something to you about backsliders. You cannot be confident while you're backsliding. God has made it that way. The presence of warning passages are there in Hebrews to be a terror for those who have fallen away from the church. Backsliders cannot have confidence that they will return because they cannot be confident that they are part of God's people because they're not part of God's people. Backsliders cannot be sure that they're saved without the means of grace. Namely, the fellowship of the church, the absorbance of the Lord's Supper, the reading and preaching of the Word of God, and the confession of the sin. Well, some people say to me, well, missing church once in a while does not mean that a person is not saved. 
And that's a straw man because I haven't argued that this morning. I have simply argued that our commitment to the local church is the greatest evidence of our love for Christ. What did Jesus say? He said something very interesting. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. What did he say? Somebody. Huh? How you love one another. This morning, I'm calling you to recommit your love for Christ by recommitting yourself to His church. I'm asking you to recommit your love for Christ by committing yourself to the local church. Many of you have come in this intermediary process of three years and haven't gone through the formal membership process. You need to do so. You need to be a part of the local church. You know what? If it's not here, then somewhere. But stop being a freeloader. Find somewhere and get committed. Say it louder. Did I not just read to you the danger of not being a part of a local body? So it's either here or somewhere else. I'm like Jesus with the Laodicean church. Not that I'm Jesus. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just lukewarm. And what did Jesus say about that church? That Laodicean church that was, they were there sometimes and they weren't there other times. And yeah, they're scheduling this and the, 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 the thorns choked them out. And they fell on the rocky soil and when testing came they were out of here and uh, he said, you make me want to vomit. That's what he said. He said, you make me want to throw up. He said, would that you would be either hot or cold. You never go to Dunkin' Donuts and say, I'll take a lukewarm. You either get an iced coffee or you get a hot coffee. Either be a part or not a part. But make a decision. My brother had the greatest philosophy of life for me. When he was teaching me how to drive, he used to say, dude, chocolate or vanilla? What did he mean by that? He meant you're either in or you're out. There are too many on the periphery. And I say that to every pastor who might be watching this this morning. And to every person who's here who's not a member or is visiting with us. If you're going back to your church, get committed to that local church. I want to read something to you as we leave. John 21, 15 through 17. Peter had denied Christ three times. And the Lord Jesus, John is the first to write this story in there. No one, none of the other gospel writers make it clear that Peter is back affirmed in the faith. But John wanted to make it very clear that Peter was reaffirmed back to the faith. So he wrote in this little narrative about how his fellowship was restored with Jesus. A narrative is a story. Here's how Jesus' conversation went with Peter after Peter had denied him. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Jesus, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus connected love for him with love for his sheep. I ask you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Christ? That means his body, not just his head, but his body. That means the unlovely people who have cerebral palsy and no money and can't give you a doggone thing. Do you love Christ? Do you love Christ? Then feed his sheep. Let's pray. Jesus, you're not impressed with our words. You're impressed with our actions. And even our actions we lay at your feet like so much chaff to be blown away for nothing of our hands will ever earn our salvation. You did it all for us, Jesus. It's in you alone, in faith alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God, our salvation. There is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We will not earn a single dime of treasure in heaven by how we love the church. But Jesus, we prove to the world that we're your disciples by how we love your body. Jesus, Holy Spirit, only you can change the hearts of the bodies in these pews. Holy Spirit, show us and let us show you that we love you by how we love this church. Amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare for the Lord's Supper?